Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. I invite you to take your copies of God's Word in your hand. Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is our text this morning. The title of the message is Spiritual Development. For the past six Sundays, we've been looking at the commitments that every church member makes to every other church member. Beginning this morning, we're going to look at six commitments of the church to her members. Now, that list did not uh, come about in a vacuum. For over a year now, the pastors of First Baptist Keller have been in a season of planning. We've been meeting quarterly with a group of people in the church, a large group of people in the church. We affectionately call the vision team. And yesterday, the vision team had their final meeting here on our campus and unanimously approved a plan as we move forward in anticipation of debt freedom in just a few months. You're going to be receiving a copy of that plan in your mailbox in just a few weeks, so be prayerful as you read it. The vision plan sits upon a six-legged stool, and each of the legs is a core commitment to First Baptist. And all of our decisions and plans moving forward are going to be based on those six pillars or six commitments. We believe that all six of them are biblical. So for the next six Sundays, we're going to walk through these commitments scripturally and sermonically. And so the first commitment of every member is uh, spiritual development. We are committed to teaching the whole counsel of God here. That's uh, from the pulpit and Sunday school classes and Bible studies and children's rooms, wherever we get together and whenever we get together, the Bible will be our curriculum. The Bible indicates that human beings are distinct and unique as created in God's image because we have both a body and an eternal soul. And the great theme of the Bible is the call for God's people to value the eternal much more than the temporary. The body is temporary and the soul is eternal. And so with that in mind, let's look at Hebrews 5 verse 11. Scripture says, concerning him, by the way, before we get any farther, that's not talking about Jesus. That's talking about an Old Testament figure by the name of Melchizedek. Concerning him we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Well, the Scripture indicates that not only do we have a soul but a body, but both of those need to be nourished. They need to be fed. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Matthew 16.26, talking about the value of a soul. Ask the rhetorical question, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? That soul, as I said, has to be nourished. None other than the Lord Jesus indicated that God's Word is our spiritual food. In Matthew chapter 4, He said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, God's prophets 
proclaimed that God's word was their nourishment. Jeremiah said, I have found your words and I ate them. John in the Revelation chapter 10 said he ate the words of God. The apostles took that imagery into their writings and Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2 verse 2, as newborn babes we are to long for the sincere milk of the word in order that we may grow thereby. Paul wrote to the young pastor Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 6, be nourished with the words of the faith. And so it's very clear that the Bible is to be our spiritual nutrition. But apparently there was a problem among the Christians that the author of Hebrews was writing to. In fact, if you go back and read the entirety of the book of Hebrews, you'll find punctuating throughout the book of Hebrews, there are warnings, there are concerns that come across. The concern is that these people have made a profession of faith, but they have ceased to make progress in sanctification. And he's calling to tell them to shake free from their slumber and their sluggishness, and once again to move forward and start growing as a Christian. The most important thing to remember about a soul, though, is that one day it will be judged by God. Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, the Bible teaches that man is born spiritually dead, an enemy of God, if you will. Therefore, man's greatest need is not rehabilitation. It's not even education. It's certainly not reform, but it's life. Dead men need life. And this is what Jesus famously told Nicodemus, as recorded in John chapter 3. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, when a baby is born, he's a pretty helpless thing. But when he begins to eat his mother's milk regularly, we expect that baby to grow, to get stronger until he can eat solid food. And eventually, become able to live and help the next generation to maturity. There's also that expectation spiritually. We expect new Christians to be fed scriptural truth, to comprehend it, to understand it, and then to obey it. And as they consume that milk and obey that word, habitually they begin to grow in discernment. And before long they're better able to take in deeper and deeper applications of God's word and make those upon the decisions of their life. But sadly, it doesn't always happen that way. It is very possible, and sometimes it does happen, we've all seen it, where Christians sit under sound scriptural teaching, that is they take in through their ears spiritual nutrition year after year, and it seems to never penetrate down into their hearts. That is they remain spiritually undeveloped for a lifetime, and it's a tragedy. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians that we looked at a few weeks ago. Remember the church at Corinth? They had immorality in their church. They weren't addressing. There were factions. And it was based, we said, upon immaturity. They had failed to grow up. And that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is addressing here in Hebrews 5. So let's look at the text. The first thing that jumps out is that he wants them to be diligent and not dull. Look at verse 11. He says, concerning him... We have much to say, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Now, dull of hearing does not mean stone deaf. It means that they are taking in through their ears. There's nothing wrong with their ears, but it's not resulting in change. It's not resulting in growth. Why? Well, he tells us over in chapter 6. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. He says, And we desire 
that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. That word sluggish is the exact same word that's used over in chapter 5. Their problem is they are dull or sluggish. They are passive when it comes to their own spiritual growth. They are not being diligent. That is, they're taking the Word of God through their ears. They're taking it for granted. They're not applying it to their life. And so they're staying in spiritual infancy. And there's something to note here, and you need to write it down, that there's nothing wrong with the milk. He's not saying the milk is sour. He's not saying the milk is out of date or that it lacks nutrition. The milk is fine. It's that they are not taking the milk and developing through it. And so he says, be diligent. Now, something we need to note here, because some of you may be thinking, oh, wait a second, Pastor, you, you've often taught us that our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. To say we need to be diligent sounds like we need to work. Yes, we do. Not because we're trying to earn salvation, but because we're saved. He's writing to people who have made a profession of faith, but not making progress in sanctification, at least to the degree that they should be by now, and he's concerned about them, and he's calling them out of contentment. Now, here's the problem. The Bible says that as Christians, we ought to always be content or satisfied when we have the essentials of life physically, food, clothing, and shelter. The Apostle Paul says, having food and clothing, let us therewith be content. But we are to never to be content or passive with where we are spiritually. We ought to be constantly pressing on to make progress in sanctification. But the problem is, as you know, many Christians have it just backwards. We seem to be constantly dissatisfied with our material possessions. We want new and better and different. And we seem to be, many of us, very content with where we are spiritually. We arrive at a point that we're comfortable with spiritually and we say, here's where I'm going to park. But the problem is, when you put a car in neutral, it sometimes rolls backwards, doesn't it? And that's what often happens with Christians. When we cease to have momentum moving forward and we come to a stop, it's not long before we start drifting. And Brother Jimmy Draper used to say, you never drift upstream, do you? You drift downstream and, and you, you tend to go backwards. And that was happening among these people that he's writing to. So he says, you must be diligent. Now, secondly, he says, you ought to become a master rather than a novice. Verse 12, he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Now, there is, as far as I can tell, no chronological template for sanctification. Whereas the Bible doesn't say by year one you ought to be able to do this, or by year five or year ten after you're born again. But there are certainly milestones in the spiritual walk, just as there are in the physical walk. Now, most of you know that my oldest daughter, Emma Kate, has been diagnosed with autism. And she's 11 years old. And autism is not a disease. Autism is just how children behave, and we can't explain it any other way, so we call it autism. And so we have had Emma Kate tested in, uh, all over this country and in some other countries. And we have never received a definitive diagnosis. All we know is that until she was three years old, she hit all of her milestones. She set her ABCs. 
She could sing songs. She was perfectly normal. And then at about three years old, she came to a, a stop. She stopped making progress intellectually. And it wasn't very long before she started losing her speech. And at 11 years old, she can't talk or do anything. She, she's at about an 18-month-old child's level of cognitive ability. And we don't know why. And, and we've come to accept that. And we love her just like we do our other three children. But the most painful times is those moments of milestones. When your children sit here and sing, and she's not able to. Or when, when they get their Bibles, or one day when, when your children will walk and graduate. And, and those are moments that we're reminded that she stopped making progress. Well, if that's true physically, it's also true spiritually. And I talk to pastors all the time who pour their hearts out to their people. They study and study and they preach the Word of God and seemingly the people not in agreement. Maybe they're dozing off because... Then when a hard time of life comes and it's time to apply that scripture, they seem lost. They're unable to take the, her, the, the, the word that they hear and, and do it and, and make application to their life. And, and so that's what the writer of Hebrews is expressing, his grief over that. It's, it's unfortunately not an isolated thing. Because Paul said a similar thing I said in 1 Corinthians 3 when he says this of the church at Corinth. And I, brothers could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not able, for you're still fleshly. Now he's getting really at the heart of the problem. That word fleshly can be translated worldly. That is, there's no discernible difference in the way these professing Christians order their lives or make decisions than their lost neighbors and friends. And he says it ought not to be. In fact, he says, thirdly, that we must become able to eat solid food and not just drink milk. Look, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is, a wit, for he is an infant. Now, that is a poor translation, in, in my opinion, not accustomed. It means not able to apply. It, again, there's nothing wrong with the physical organ of the ear. It's that there's no application being made. And he says, if you don't grow with that milk that you're receiving, then you're not able long-term to make good decisions. Now, let's define what that milk is. I told you there's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it's a good thing. And so uh, look up at chapter 6, verse 1. He defines what the milk is. He says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, or a faith toward God, or instruction about washing, that's simply baptism, laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. A generation ago would have called those doctrines the fundamentals. The fundamentals of the faith that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. Those are the basic things that every person has to know before they can even be saved. And they're the basics of the gospel. Again, nothing wrong with them. We must have them. But then he says we must progress to the other teachings, the other doctrines of the faith. We, we don't start a newborn infant with a T-bone steak. If you do, you're, you're an unfit parent. You, you, you start with milk. And as the milk becomes 
muscle and tissue, and as the child's system is capable, you progress to more complex and foods that are harder to, to digest. And, and from a spiritual perspective, we could say, you don't start a new believer with the doctrines of election and predestination. Quite often we'll have a new Christian here and, and I'll say, well, you need to start reading your Bible every day. And they say, where do I start? I've never read the Bible. I have never said, well, start in the book of Revelation. <laughs> uh, I say, start in the book of John and read those basics of the Gospels. And once you have that understood, then move on uh, to the book of Romans and the book of Acts. And then you progress to the book of Revelation over time. Well, the author of Hebrews, in this case, he's saying he's ready to teach them some really deep things about the nature of the atonement and how that Jesus serves as our great high priest in a similar way that Melchizedek, who related to Abraham in the book of Genesis, served as a high priest. But he says, I can't teach you that. You're not ready. You can't handle it. You still need to be retaught those things which are elementary. It's okay and even essential to have the basics as long as you don't stay there. Many of you follow football. Remember the story of Vince Lombardi, who was the great coach of the Green Bay Packers. And they were having a particularly difficult season. And so he decided to, to go back to basics. And he came into practice one day and he had all the men in the locker room. He said, men, we're going to start with the essentials. And he reached under his desk and pulled out a football. And he says, this is a football. Some years later, I was coaching high school football under another man who was the head coach. And he had read that story about Vince Lombardi. So he was going to try it with our guys. And so uh, he comes out to practice one day, and he was going to put his own little twist on it. He said, men, we're starting all over today with a whole new paradigm. And they looked at him like you're looking at me. And he said, uh, do any of you know what a paradigm is? And finally, one kid sort of sheepishly raised his hand. He said, what is it? He said, it's about 20 cents, coach. <laughs> that actually happened. I was there. And so the coach just dropped his head and went back to the locker room in, in defeat. But, but there are times when we need the essentials and to rehearse them over and over, but we should not stay there. We have to make progress in sanctification. Fourthly, we should become mature and not remain an infant. Look at, again, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of food is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Now here's where the rubber hits the road. The word discernment. The ability to know good from evil, better from best. It's the ability to make wise and appropriate decisions based on the Word of God. And as I look out over the landscape of the evangelical church worldwide, if there is one thing that is obviously and sorely lacking, it is discernment. That people claiming to be walking with the Lord can be so easily duped by false teachers. By things that should obviously jump out and say, this is wrong. And people instead say, yeah, that sounds about right. And you just want to say, how can you believe this is true when you have sat under sound biblical teaching for years, it's because they've become dull of hearing. It has failed to get past their eardrums and down into their heart. And so he says, you must become mature 
so that you will become discerning and make wise and appropriate decisions. Now, how does that relate to our six commitments of the vision plan? Well, commitment number one is that uh, we're going to make every effort to help every member of our church grow to spiritual maturity. How do we do that? Well, first of all, you've got to have the right food, right? The Word is our food. And so here's what your pastors are committing to you. We're not changing anything. We're just saying it out loud. Every time you come and sit in these pews, we're going to feed you the Word of God. Not our own opinions. We're going to study hard in our studies and in our homes so that when we come together, we're not going to offer you our opinions on the world news. We're going to say, here's what the Bible says. Thus saith the Lord. And I want every Sunday school teacher to commit to that as well. And every children's ministry leader and every youth worker to commit to that as well. Because the Word is what we need. But the problem is, we don't always apply. So what's the problem? I think there's, there's two or three possibilities when we can sit under the Word of God week after week, year after year, and not affect us. One, the one Paul pointed out in Corinth, is worldliness. We have our minds so occupied with temporary things, the things of the world, that we don't have any room to apply the Word of God. I'm not talking about overtly sinful things, though that's included. If you're filling your mind with filth, don't expect to make progress in sanctification. I'm talking about things that are not necessarily overtly sinful. They're just not best. Remember what I said the great theme of the New Testament is keeping your mind on things above, on the spiritual matters, those things that are eternal, and not being so obsessed and preoccupied with the things of this life. But that's a difficult matter when you're filling your mind full of entertainment and, 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 and input from secular sources because they're telling you just the opposite. They're telling you, you got to invest. They're telling you, you got to save more. They got to spend more. And I said last week that we live in an affluent area, and we do. And one of the great temptations of those that live in affluent areas is materialism. That if we're not careful, we'll become preoccupied with getting a nicer car or a boat or a nicer house. And the next thing you know, years have passed. Maybe our bank account has grown, but we've not made progress in sanctification. Now, here's what I say. Salvation is by grace. But as we think about salvation, we need to think of it in, in three perspectives. The first perspective is justification. That is, at a moment in time, the Holy Spirit brings you to a place of conviction over your own sin and guilt. He gives you the faith to believe on Christ. At that moment in time, when you ask Him to forgive your sins, He does it once and for all. He'll never bring those sins up against you again. You are born again. Your eternal address is now heaven. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. But you begin as a baby Christian. And the Lord does not want you to remain a baby Christian. He wants you to make progress every day of your life until you die or He comes for His church. Now when you die or He comes for the church, we call that glorification. But in between those two things, in between the moment we're saved and the moment we die or Christ comes again, we're in a process called sanctification, where we are to be maturing consistently till we become more like Jesus. And that takes effort. There's no effort required in being saved. 
but we participate in our own sanctification. In other words, if you just sit on your hands and say, I've got my ticket to heaven, I'm going to wait on the Lord, one or two things may be true. One is, you're going to tragically miss out on some of the great blessings of life, but more likely, you never were born again. Because if you can have the attitude about your salvation that I'm going to be passive towards it, and it doesn't mean that much to me, you probably haven't encountered the risen Christ. But if you have encountered the risen Christ, and as over time, as seems to have happened with the people that were being written to in the book of Hebrews, they had slowly ground to a halt. And now we're moving backwards. And it was startling to the writer. Uh, and he says, Look, wake up. You've got to make progress. You've got to get, get going again. In fact, that, that's what every preacher does and that's what every writer of the New Testament did. They spurred one another on to good works. That's why you need a local church. And that is the role, one of the roles of your church family is to spur you on to say, keep going. Good job so far, but you're not there yet. Let's keep going until the Lord returns. Another possibility is simply laziness. We live in a world of spiritually lazy people. That, that we think we can just show up and, and somehow the Lord's going to pour it into us through osmosis. That is not the case at all. Look at 1 Timothy. Just back up two or three pages in your Bible and you'll come to actually 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Here we have an almost identical injunction to Timothy and, and those that he pastored, the church at Ephesus, as we do here in Hebrews. 2 Timothy 2.15, he says, Be diligent. That's exactly the same kind of wording that we find in Hebrews. Be diligent. That is, make every effort to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, he's writing to a pastor, but it's applicable to all Christians. How many of you went to Awanas growing up? Awanas is a children's program. The acronym Awana means approved workmen are not ashamed, right? It comes from this verse. Um, it's a wonderful program of scripture memory for, for children and application, but it's true not just for children. That is, when we apply the Word of God, we grow stronger. We're able to apply it more deeply and more deeply until we come to a place of, of, of spiritual maturity. So he says, be diligent. Make every effort. You participate in your own sanctification. And then he comes to chapter 4. Now here is the church's role in that. Your role is to be diligent. The church's role, look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Paul says to Timothy, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you... Be sober in all things, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Now, I told you, your pastors commit to you to teach you the Word consistently, systematically. When we get together on Monday mornings for our pastoral prayer time, I often remind us of what the book of Hebrews says in the last chapter. It says that one day the pastors of the church will give an account for everyone's soul. I don't know what that means. It keeps me awake at night. 
that the pastors of this church are going to give an account of all 2,400 souls that are members of First Baptist Church of Keller. And so we have committed that we're going to do what the Bible says we're to do. We're going to preach the Word. Every time we get together, you're going to hear the Word of God proclaimed. And if you ever cease to hear the Word of God proclaimed here, you need to get some new pastors or a new church. But then your job is to not only hear the Word, but to be diligent to apply it at the level you are. And as you're obedient at that level, the Lord will help you to grow and you'll be able to apply it at a deeper level and a deeper level. And then one day, years from now, you're going to wake up and you're going to say, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. I have made progress in sanctification to the Lord's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, I thank you for the great progress in sanctification that I have observed in so many of these dear people. And Lord, I'm dissatisfied with my own sanctification. Lord, I want to, to grow in grace. So many areas of my life that need improvement. Father, I know that will not happen if I grow content and I sit around and wait on heaven. Lord, shake us, wake us up if that's the case with any of us. Help us never to be complacent in our walk with you. Lord, I pray that we would put positive peer pressure on one another, that we constantly would grow in grace. Lord, I thank you for these many children and young people that were on the platform here today. Many of them have already made professions of faith. Lord, I pray that every one of them would come to saving faith in Jesus, but that they would no more stay spiritual children than we would want them to stay physical children. We want them to grow to make progress and one day be able to teach others to do the same. Lord, I pray you would indeed use this church as a launching pad for ministry all over the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, Visit us online at fbckeller.org.